Hello and welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. My name's Darren and I'm here with Faith. Hi. Pastor Faith. And we will get to the sermon in just a little bit, but we wanted to make some time and space to talk about something special that we've been having on Sundays. And it's a new song that Pastor Faith, you and your husband, Josh, wrote, and we've shared it with our community. Tell us a little bit about it. What's the name of it? Yeah. And where did it come from? Yeah, so it's called We Need You. Um, and I, I'm going to root this in 1 Corinthians 2 when Paul says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Um, the, the first thing that was written for this song was the beginning of that bridge section that says, We don't need better plans. We don't need clever thoughts. We need your Spirit, O oh God. We don't want the wisdom of man. We want we want a display of God's power, which is really what the world needs. They don't need to see a show, or even in the area of worship, they don't need to hear good music. We need to see a display of the power of God. So it came from that heart cry. And then the beginning of the song kind of sets up this space where we invite Holy Spirit, we open our hearts, we clear out all the distractions, the things that get in the way and then just simply cry out for more of Him. And it's this this longing to be a, a space where the Spirit would rest mm-hmm. as a community. Yeah, I love that. That's such a the heart and core value of Garden Church. Exactly. Knowing that the Spirit is present, like He's welcome to the party and we get to celebrate. And I so appreciate the beauty and creativity that you've been cultivating, not only with worship, but just something that we can invite the rest of our community into. And, and it's so cool when, when uh, in the recording of this song, it's the first time that we shared it. And it's like people have been singing it for weeks. <laughs> and it was just such a cool thing to experience. And so we're so happy for those of you that have experienced that with us on a Sunday morning. And we want to see just more original songs being birthed from this place um, that you're talking about, just being saturated in the Holy Spirit. So we are welcoming you to stick around after the sermon where you can hear a live recording of the song, We Need You, and I hope it blesses your heart. Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. We're in a series called The Empowering Presence, and uh, two weeks ago we started this series uh, with kind of a, a, a large hope and prayer for our church, our hope and our prayers for us as a church to pursue the presence of God more than a program, uh, more than just a pastor, more than just models of ministry or practices of the way, but actually we would pursue the presence of God as a church. And that my hope and prayer for us is to experience and be filled with the full measure of God through His Spirit, that we would confess our sin regularly and pursue holiness as a way of life and pursue the power of God in our everyday ordinary life and that the gifts of the Holy Spirit would just be filled in our church and we'd minister to one another in the power and presence of God himself and our church would grow um, in that strength. So that's what this series is about. So good luck. You can't do it through good teaching. It has to be uh, us learning to rely on God's presence and learning to understand how the, the Spirit operates today. And so if you're new, um, the last two weeks have been kind of the, the basics. It was kind of an introduction, and last week was a 
tour de force of theology by our professor in residence, Bill Doctrum, um, who, God bless him, but he did a, a great task of kind of giving a theology of the Spirit. This morning, before I jump into the talk, I just want to share some thoughts um, about some things stirring. Um, I've, I was, I, I've been praying for people in the streets. Many of you do this. We share our faith uh, with our coworkers, and we share our faith in the streets. I know most of us are doing that regularly. And um, we're praying for people on the street. And one of the things that I've been realizing as I've been praying and inter- engaging, what I, one thing I've realized is Uber drivers hate me. Um, <laughs> no, they... Because I just feel like it's not a coincidence I'm in this car with you and I want to talk to you and get to know you. And, but there's like this foundation that I've developed over the years that I'm realizing is, is more significant than, um, than I thought. And that everything I'm doing, praying for healing um, and, and sharing words of knowledge or a lack of word of knowledge, because most of the time it fails, uh, prophesying, encouraging, asking questions, getting into people's lives, The whole point of operating in a supernatural life is to reveal the love of God to people. I was in Brooklyn this last week ministering to a church that is a friend church in the heart of Williamsburg. They're four years old. They're passionate about the spirit. They're ministering to the poor. They're in the heart of the city. They're a young church that's on fire. And they asked if we would come, Alex and I, and just minister to their staff and to their their church. And it was so amazing because it reminded me so much of our church years ago when when we were getting started, and it was a beautiful thing, but we were spending lots of time with the, the pastor and his wife, building friendship and ministering to them. We were at a park, because they have two kids as well, and we were walking from their park, to, uh, back, from a park back to their house, and this man um, kind of was yelling at us outside of a bar, and I, I was holding Amos, my one-year-old, and we had four kids total, and it was kind of anger, and, and I, I don't know about you, I'm not someone that ignores things like that. So I just engaged the guy with my one-year-old in my arms. I said, hey, what's going on? And he's like, why are you bringing kids here? And, not, you know, and, and we were just walking back from the park. We weren't bringing the kid into the bar, um, which I was going to say, that's how we started our church, actually. People had to bring kids into the bar, for those of you that remember how the garden was founded. But I engaged this conversation, and what I realized in that moment, as he was angry and his walls began, began to go down, as I just asked questions. And, I, just, and he, I wouldn't give up. I was like, no, tell me more. Why did you move to the city to pursue money? Why are you so angry right now? Because he was talking about how angry. What, I was like, is there, is there pain in your heart? And he starts, and all of a sudden he realizes he's like having a therapy session at a bar as I'm holding my kid and he's smoking a cigarette. And, and he's like, and then I'm like, here's what I want to tell you. And I listened, and I was asking. I wouldn't let him give up, and he didn't go back inside, so I was just going. I said, I want you to know that there is a God in heaven who created you, who loves you. And the fact that I'm standing here is evidence that his love is for you, and he wants you to know this. And I want you to know that I love you right now. And so as angry as you were, I just hope that you'd recognize there are good people in this world who love you and will love you, but more importantly, there's a God who loves you. And I just shared the gospel with this stranger, and I walked away. And I realized in that moment that what that man needed more than anything was a loving presence. Because our nation is more divided than ever before. And it's crazy. This week was nuts. And I, I just realized how much pain is at the heart of man and woman. And how we need as a church, as the church, to embody unconditional love. And there, our, the church has been hijacked 
by political agendas on both sides. And we need to be people who incarnate love everywhere we go. Because I realized, because I, I had multiple encounters with people and I realized how angry people are. And for me, I'm, I'm recognizing actually the foundation for everything is this atmosphere of love that we learn to engage in life, not with anger. Sometimes anger is appropriate, by the way. I just need to let you know that we need to learn how to use our anger appropriately according to Jesus. But we need to be a source of healing and life and love. And this morning, I wanna talk about the spirit. Specifically, this topic this morning is about the spirit and identity. And I had this personal revelation in the scriptures a few years ago. And I've never taught on this per se, but I realized uh, through a personal revelation, a deeper awareness of the scripture of what the Holy Spirit comes to do in all of us. And I, what, what I want, more than giving you some great teaching this morning, my prayer is that you would have personal revelation about the same thing that I had. Does that sound okay? So if you would pray with me one more time and we'll jump into the scripture. So Lord Jesus Christ, we declare you as the resurrected Messiah who has come to this earth not to condemn but to restore and heal and save. And we pray that the spirit that you give us and you promise to give us would be alive and well in our church and with us this morning as we open up your word and as we learn to live our lives the way you intended it to be. I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning to have a revelation of who you are through the spirit in the name above all names, Jesus Christ, we all pray. Amen. It's so good to be with you guys. I love you guys so much. Every time I travel and come back, I'm like, this is where I want to be. Mark chapter 1, verse 9. Let's check this out. So Mark 1, we're going to look at this, this topic, the spirit and identity. Um, Mark chapter 1, verse 9. It's going to be on the screen. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my boy, you're my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. This is how Jesus begins his ministry. Doing absolutely nothing at all before this. And being affirmed in his identity through the power of the Holy Spirit, which is the foundation for all of life in the Spirit, which I'm going to get to in a moment. That when Jesus begins his public ministry, it begins with this public declaration, this is my boy and I'm pleased with him. Isn't that amazing? One of us thinks that's amazing. <laughs> Two of us thinks that's, I'm with you. This is for you and I this morning because we have this. The rest of you need to come and experience and taste and see how amazing this is. So much of our misery is trying to prove our value and worth to the world. But when we become Christian, it starts with this public declaration that we are good enough. We are more than enough. Amen, 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 in Christ. Now this is Christ's experience. So let me make a couple of observations to build our time this morning with. So observation, Jesus is filled with the presence of God and is baptized and immediately his identity is established by the spirit of God. This is what the author is saying. This is what in Matthew's gospel and Mark's gospel and Luke's gospel, this is what happens. He's baptized and he has this personal experience of being filled with the presence of God, the spirit of God and being publicly affirmed in his belovedness. 
So three observations. One, Holy Spirit empowers true identity. We're going to talk about that. Number two, Holy Spirit empowers an accurate view of God. And point number three, Holy Spirit empowers intimacy with God as Father. I want to talk about this this morning. In the Old Testament, we rarely see language of God as Father. He is the, uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In the Old Testament, we don't see intimate language like Father in the personal sense that Jesus brings only in the New Testament. Instead, we see Father of the nations used as more of a metaphor of what God is like. In the language of the Old Testament, Yahweh and Adonai and Lord, God was respectably spoke of from a distance with awe. And intimacy and familiarity was avoided. But Jesus comes into the scene to reveal what God is like. And perhaps this is one of the greatest revelations that Jesus brings. For it is the beautiful revelation that that makes Christianity so remarkable. Once we have this knowledge of who God is, the revelation of God, the proper knowledge of God, things in our life will begin to change over a long period of time. And I think this is what the scriptures show and reveal. Dallas Willard says this, the secret to a good life is rooted in the knowledge of God. Now, I want to give you a long quotation from Dallas Willard because he's worth quoting in in detail. So look, look at this passage, or this, this, this is from his book. It's not a passage. It's not scripture. It's not equal. It could be close. Life without lack. When that knowledge about, so he's talking about the knowledge of God. When that knowledge is absent from our minds, everything goes to pieces. Because the fundamental, of, of, because the fundamental fact that your primary contact with God is through your mind, and what you do with your mind is the most important choice you have to make. Wherever your mind goes, the rest of your life goes with it. What we place our minds on brings that reality into our lives. If we place our minds on God, the reality of God comes into our lives. That is why there must be preachers and teachers, because until our minds are informed by the right view of God, we cannot put our minds on God in the right way. The problem is so severe that when Jesus came, he essentially said, people, forget everything you think you know about God. I'm going to tell you what he is really like. It is the problem of wrong ideas. As someone said long ago, it ain't what we know that hurts us. It's what we know that ain't so. All the things that we know about God that ain't so destroy our lives, poison us, throw our lives out of kilter, and throw our bodies out of an appropriate relationship to reality. Wrong ideas about God make it impossible for us to function in relationship to one another. We are not able to love one another because we do not have our minds filled with an accurate vision of God. Wow. Let's close in prayer. Good luck. Um, so what is he saying? I'll give you an illustration from my life, if that's okay. So I've shared this story, I think, here. A few months ago, I was in London and I was going to speak to the largest community I've ever preached to. I'd had to do seven talks in six days at this massive conference. Thousands and thousands of people. So the pressure was on. And my wife and my kids, we went out early um, to adjust to the time change and to be settled. And I thought I was going to have time to work on things, but I had no time to work on things. There was a heat wave in London. So it was like 97 degrees in the city where nobody has air conditioning. So imagine trying to sleep with a one-year-old and four-year-old with the time change in the middle of the city without AC. So we were traveling in London trying to find air conditioning. Basically, that's what we did. We found ourselves at the Natural History Museum. It was a Thursday, and it was crowded. Everyone else had the same idea 
area. There must be air conditioning here. And I'm walking around the crowds and I have a panic attack. And I haven't had anxiety and panic attack like this in years. And so I was freaking out. We had to leave. Um, we go back to the apartment. I still don't know what's going on. Go to sleep that night. Wake up the next day and I go on a run. And I bring my phone out. As I'm running, I'm thinking out loud, what was this about? And as I'm processing the emotions, which for me, if you're like me, it takes a while. Um, and by the way, the way the anxiety manifested before the panic attack was anger and bitterness towards my family. Anyone else want to relate to this? Can we get six hands maybe? Do I see seven? Do I? Okay, thank you. This, yeah. So I had, to, I had to repent and I had to process. I'm processing this on the run. And I stopped because I, I had this, this self-awareness. And I began to recognize that the anxiety was due to this deep insecurity where I felt insecure. I felt that I wasn't good enough to preach to this crowd. I wasn't smart enough. I didn't have a book to sell, which they kept asking for. No, I don't have anything, but I'm sorry. I'm not that, I, I, maybe you got the wrong guy. That's literally what's going on in my head. I'm, people aren't going to respond. And then, and then I'm writing out this insecurity. And then I wrote this one thing that said, God's not going to show up. And that's when I knew all of it was a lie. Because I realized that's not the God that I knew. I know, according to Scripture, God will speak through a donkey. Amen? So he could maybe speak through me. And so I literally said, I'm like, not today, Satan. And I began to confess all the other things that I was feeling and realized that the source of the anxiety was rooted in insecurity. Uh, in, in, in but that insecurity was deeply rooted in an inaccurate view of God. This is what Dallas is trying to get at. When our view of God is misunderstood, the rest of the life will follow. Are you guys with me? Okay, so let's keep going. So we can do so much with our minds to know who God is by replacing false views and false narratives. But ultimately, what we see in the Scripture is the Holy Spirit is the one who empowers us to have an accurate view of God. God accepts us as we are. That's what it says in Scripture. Our job is to accept God as He is. Think about that for a moment. Let, it, that, let that settle in for just a second. He accepts you as you are, not as you should be. He loves you as you are, not as you should be. You have to learn to accept that about him. You're welcome for that. I'll just keep going. <clears throat> the question is, what do we do with an accurate view of how uh, do we, the question then is how, uh, I'm sorry, is do we have an accurate view of God? And the next question would be, how do we get this accurate view of God? Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Check this out. I got to go through this fast because I have a lot to say. And uh, we're already running out of time. But I'm going to slow down. But I want you to stay with me because I believe the Spirit wants to give us some, some personal experiences today. But I want to get through the text. Luke 11, 1 says this. His, uh, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Just as John taught his disciples, he said to them, when you pray, pray, you almighty, transcendent, distant figure in heaven. No, that's not what he said. He said, when you pray, pray, Father. And this is the divine, powerful revelation of Jesus. That he comes to reveal and revolutionize how we approach the transcendent, almighty Yahweh, the un the God who is creator of heaven and earth in the most intimate way. Over 250 times in the New Testament, um, God is referred to as Father. And over 175 times in the Gospels alone, Jesus refers to God as a Father. And no one did this until Jesus. Jesus. 
This makes it so revolutionary. And some scholars argue that when Jesus used the classic or the, the formal word for father in Greek, he was actually using an Aramaic word, Abba, which means daddy. And this would have been very offensive to most of the people listening, but you have to recognize that he invites his disciples and followers to relate to God as father, as daddy. And this has radical implications for us today because we live in a fatherless society and had statistics about the implications of that today, but I'm gonna skip that for the sake of time. So many people that I pray for, that I pastor, many of you would say, one of the greatest things that you struggle with is recognizing the Father's love for you. I can't tell you how many times I'll pray for somebody on Sunday or anywhere around the world and just say, God loves you as you are, not as you should be, and it's waterworks. I can't tell you how many times I walk up to men and say and recognize the pain in their hearts is that they don't have the approval or relationship of a dad. And I say that the Father in heaven loves you as his um, as a little boy, and you're just a little boy sitting on daddy's lap. I just share this revelation to them. And the, the, the walls of their heart come and they break because the pain is so severe in our culture and society. That if you were to just look at the pain of the fatherlessness that we've all have experienced, so many of us have experienced, it's like a massive percentage. You would recognize that actually that is probably the root of pain in our relationship to God the Father in heaven is that we have projected our inaccurate views of our earthly fathers onto God the Father. But Jesus comes in Mark chapter one, verse nine, and he shares this experience with us. So he receives this in Mark one, verse nine. He, he's baptized and he hears, you are my son whom I love, with you I'm well pleased. Other translation says, you, you are my son, the beloved. And the first experience Jesus has in the gospels when he's baptized and filled is the spirit giving him divine revelation and affirmation that he is the beloved and good enough. Brennan Manning says it this way, Jesus, the beloved son, does not hoard this experience for himself. He invites and calls us to share the same intimate and liberating relationship. Isn't that amazing? That the love of God embraces all without exception for his love is never based on performance, never conditioned by our mood or of joy or depression. The furious love of God knows no shadow of alteration. It is always tender. Brendan Manning. How then do we experience this intimate relationship with God? And this is what I've been pondering. How do I get people to understand this truth? And I realize that teaching won't be enough. Paul wrestles with this idea in Romans and Galatians. So I wanna, I wanna show you what he says, and this is so powerful. Because the answer to how do we experience this intimate relationship with God is under this, this Roman legal term he uses to help us understand what the Spirit comes to do in our life. And the word is adoption. So how do we know God as Abba? The answer is to Paul through something called adoption. So if you have a Bible, go to Romans chapter eight. Just stay with me. We're gonna take, take a, uh, a few more cracks at scripture and then we're gonna land on implications. How are we doing? Are we doing all right? I'm glad to be back. You might not be glad that I'm back, but I'm glad to be here. No, I know I've got your love. And by the way, I don't need it because I have the Father's love. Um, <laughs> hmm. Okay, so Romans 8, verse 14. 
I, yes, check this out. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. The Spirit you received brought about your adoption into sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. So in the, I just a couple of things that you have to see that are like so powerful and beautiful because what Paul is doing is he's trying to make sense of this new relationship that we get through the Spirit of God. And he uses these terms that would have been understood by, in the first century context, but we don't understand. We might, because we know what adoption is, but adoption, this phrase was a, a legal term in the Roman Empire used by the ruling and senate class, the wealthy folks of first century Roman Empire. And it was used to appropriate a successor who would take over the family's wealth and manage the estate. And so adoption is referring to Roman law. In that time period, slaves had no power, had no rights. They were seen as inferior as humans. They were in debt to their masters. And so this term adoption is actually translated to son placing. And it was this, this formality thing. So this is what would happen. If a wealthy couple or a ruling couple didn't have biological children of their own, mainly a, a male um, uh, uh, descendant or a male person to inherit their wealth, they would adopt this person, a person to inherit their, their wealth and their place in society so that their name would continue on. Or if they had a son they didn't like, they could disown them. That's, this is what would happen all the time and, and adopt somebody else. And it describes this action that a couple would take or a person would take for someone who was not previously a son and you would place them as a member of the household into your family. And in many ways, um, it was almost always a person that wasn't part of your family or was a distant relative. And you, they would become, and oftentimes it was a servant of some sort that would become a son. And um, so the adoption process was public. It had to be public. And a father had to make known who the son would be um, to a community of witnesses. And all the debts of the formal servant had to be canceled before this person would become a son. And he would be given a new name. He would be entered into the new family. He would be given a new status in society. He was no longer a servant or slave. He was now a uh, part of the family. He would be given a new identity, and he would be given a new family, a new name, a new father, and a new mother. He would be given a new task of responsibilities and new privileges. So in the first century, the father could disown its biological son, but if someone was adopted legally, they could never be disowned ever again. Are you with me? So do you see what's going on? So in Galatians chapter four, Paul writes this, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption into sonship. What does that mean? That all of our debts would be canceled. That the power of death would be canceled. That the slavery we embodied and the fear would be canceled that the lack of power and privilege would be canceled. Jesus takes his privilege and gives it to us. Are you with me? Adopted into sonship because you are his sons. God, listen, okay, stay with me. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son 
into our hearts the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Not so significant to you? Let's go back to Romans 8. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption into sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. You know you are God's child when the Spirit of God enables you to have this intimate relationship with Abba. The proof that you are filled with the Spirit is the the cry within your heart to Abba. Let's keep going. Now, if we are, uh, sorry, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. If we are the children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Okay, stay with me. We're going to bring it all together. Paul connects this mysterious activity of the Holy Spirit and what he comes to do. Those who are led by the Holy Spirit, we are no longer slaves, but we are children of God. We are no longer lived by fear, but rather we receive adoption into the family of God. We no longer can be disowned. We no longer have debts. They're all been paid. We are given a new name, and we have been given authority and power. And if we are children of God, then co-heirs with Christ. We share in his sufferings. We share in his glory. We share in his inheritance. We share in Christ's inheritance. Okay, I don't think we have a clue of what this means. And this is the revelation that I had. In Ephesians, Paul prays this. I keep asking that God of our, uh, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. I pray that the spirit will give you wisdom and personal revelation so that you may know him better. The point of the spirit, what he's praying is that I pray that the Holy Spirit empowers you to know God better than what you previously experienced. I pray that the eyes of your heart, the center of your soul, would be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Okay, how are we doing? Are we doing all right? These are some heavy, this is heavy theology, but it's so important for its implications today. Point number four and five. The Holy Spirit liberates the burden of spin of sin and spin. Um, we could liberate some spin right now on TV. Holy Spirit liberates the burden of sin and slavery and empowers us to live free. And the Holy Spirit activates our spiritual inheritance here and now. Okay, we share in Christ's inheritance. Let me give you a modern day equivalent of what this is. I want you to imagine for a second you're single. You're not married. For those of you that are married, for those that are single, very easy to imagine this. Imagine that you have three roommates in a one-bedroom apartment. Some of you, again, not hard to imagine. Imagine you work at Starbucks and you're struggling to pay rent. Some of us are struggling to pay rent here. So it's, again, not funny, but hard. It's, we're working day in and day out. We live below our means to stay on budget, but that's a, a cheap living. 
We work overtime. The pressure and the struggle is real. We're constantly at fear that we're not gonna have enough to get by. We're constantly living in fear that we're gonna be oppressed by others that we're gonna be taken advantage of, okay? Based on our, our economic resource. Are you with me? Do you imagine this? Now, the same story. You happen to have a billionaire relative who you didn't know that actually says you're their favorite and when they die in the inheritance, they leave you all of their billions of dollars of wealth. Are you with me? Imagine the pressure. Imagine the struggle. Imagine the arguments, the, the penny pinching, the work, the three jobs to pay rent. Imagine that now all of a sudden, in a moment, you are the legal recipient of this billion dollar inheritance. And there's a, there's a public reading of the will. And your name is mentioned as the sole person to inherit the, the estate and wealth. Are you with me? Now imagine what you do every day. Live as if that didn't happen. You go back to Starbucks. You go back to penny pinching. You go back to the petty fights with your roommates. You go back to struggle, pressure, fear, and oppression because you never accepted what was legally yours. This is Christianity for most of us. And as long as we live with that weight, we will never actually do or receive what the Holy Spirit empowers us to receive, which is proper identity, which is proper relationship with God, intimate relationship with God, an accurate view of God for the purpose of receiving this inheritance so that we can be useful everywhere we go. Because when the Spirit gives us this proper stewardship of identity, of resource, of heavenly inheritance here and now, when he activates us, he's essentially saying now, stop worrying about who you are and go and show people who he is. Are you with me? Do you see why the enemy is winning when we're about to do what we were created to do and have panic attacks? It was never about how good enough I would be. It was all about demonstrating who God already is. This is true for dentists. This is true for entrepreneurs, for stay-at-home moms, for students. This is, this is true for mechanics, graphic designers, coffee shop owners, professors. The same is true. As long as you don't accept who God is, you'll never accept who you are. And if you don't accept who you are, you won't steward the inheritance you have access to. How are we doing this morning? So you can either keep struggling to pay rent or you can step into the inheritance that's already yours. What we need is a fresh experience of the Holy Spirit. You see these passages talk about the Spirit, what he comes to do. Through faith, the believer is justified, set free, empowered by the Spirit. They have moved from being slaves, living in fear and servitude, be, uh, servitude before the law and the devil to being free sons and daughters of God. We need that fresh revelation this morning. Um, so let me, let me just remind you, the Holy Spirit empowers true identity. We move from slaves to children, from orphans to adopted sons and daughters, from being empty to filled. Holy Spirit empowers an accurate view of God. We replace false narratives and images of God and accept God as he really is, and he wants to be known as Father. And it's the Holy Spirit that empowers intimacy with God as Father. So we cry out. It's the Spirit in us that cries out, Abba, Father. And as he does, that's a testimony that we are receiving an inheritance 
We are signs of first fruits of what's coming to this world. Holy Spirit liberates the burden of sin and slavery and empowers us to live free. The Holy Spirit activates our spiritual inheritance here and now. So it's time to start living out of our true identities in this world because the enemy has orphaned us and given us a spirit of slavery and fear. And the Spirit says, you're a son and daughter of the King. Start living like it. He restores what was originally intended in Genesis 1 and 2. You see that in Genesis 1 and 2, all of humanity was given the task to rule and subdue the earth, to carefully care for creation in a way that uh, spreads Eden everywhere on earth. That was hijacked by sin and the devil. It was brought back to humanity through Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection. And now it's given to the church through the power of the Holy Spirit. Men and women who believe that Jesus is raised from the dead, filled with the presence of God. We continue that Eden commission, that Matthew 28 commission, that Acts 1-8 commission to be God's, uh, Christ's body on earth. That's what it means to be, sp- to be filled with with the presence of God. That's what it means to be spirit love. The divine love becomes our lens at which we see all of life and all of relationships. But only once we've experienced it for ourselves is this made possible. To close, I just have one sentence. To live a naturally supernatural lifestyle, one must first be transformed into Abba's child. To live a naturally supernatural lifestyle, one must first be transformed into daddy's little boy and daddy's little girl. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.
Spirit.